0: Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove podcast network. So what are you waiting for? Head to lionelracing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast.
1: The National Football League's Chicago Bears call Soldier Field home in half for the past 50 years. Located on the shoreline of Lake Michigan, it's only a few blocks from the center of the Windy City. It's a bit hard to believe that it was once a place where race cars circled the famous football field for position in fender-to-fender action with the fans cheering them on. History does have a way of repeating itself. NASCAR will start a new tradition with the start of the Bush Light clash this Sunday at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Even though it's a bit hard to imagine now, the Soldier Field once had a track inside the stadium in the 1930s where several motorsports venues were held and lasted through the summer of 1968. NASCAR's Cup Series, then the Grand Nationals, were there on July 21, 1956, some 15 years before the Chicago Bears moved there from Wrigley Field in 1970. Before NASCAR arrived, Andrew Granatelli of STP oil treatment fame was a key promoter for races at Soldier Field. He brought open-wheel races as well as stock car events to the facility and kept the stands packed for special events. Granatelli would hire drivers to crash and flip on purpose if staged performances to keep the fans on the edge of their seats. Most fans probably never knew the races were staged and poured in by way of cars, subway trains and buses to see the amazing action on summer Saturday nights. With professional wrestling on wheels, complete with fireworks, clowns and concessions, it was truly the best show in town. The concrete grandstands at Soldier Field were massive and would hold as many as 70,000 fans. Local heroes Fred Lorenzen and Tom Pistone raced there. Barbara Roberts was the winner of the 1956 NASCAR Cup race. NASCAR also scheduled three races for its convertible division there, with Glenn Wood, Curtis Turner, and Pistone going to Victory Lane. Sal Tavella, a popular Chicagoan that raced 14 races in NASCAR competition from 1956 to 1964, Won the final stock car race held at Soldier Field on June 9th, 1968. There were other quarter mile tracks used in NASCAR's formative days, such as Bowman Gray Stadium in Winston-Salem and Wall Stadium in New Jersey that are still going strong today with local modified races and as their premier series. There's also Ascot Park Speedway near Los Angeles, where three NASCAR Grand National events were held on the half mile track there. The first 500 lapper in 1957 was won by Eddie Pagan. The second NASCAR event was won by Parnelli Jones, or the third and final race in 1961 was won by Eddie Gray when he lapped the entire field. Winston West events, later known as the KN and West Series, ran there through 1979 with Ray Elder collecting nine victories. This Sunday's race at the L.A. Coliseum is an idea from the past revisited that promises a great deal of excitement and possibly a hefty collection of bent sheet metal by the time the checkered flag falls.
2: So let's talk about episode number 49 a little bit. Uh, Certainly the number 49 is not as... um, uh, illustrious, if you will, as the number 48 that Jimmy Johnson turned in with 83 wins. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But today's episode, I want to focus in on something that's very crucial for this weekend. And that is the Bush Light Classic out at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. It'll be this Sunday, February 6th. A non-points event, but it'll have the best NASCAR Cup drivers in the game. And it also is going to serve as the debut... For the you know, depending on how people call, they call it the next gen, the next generation car, generation seven, Gen seven. It's got a lot of nicknames, but it'll be the brand new race car, and I'm very excited to see how this car is going to react on the on the uh, track. I mean, it's been three years in development now. Admittedly, one of those years of development was due to COVID. Everything got slowed down or stopped. You know, they they couldn't do wind t- tunnel testing, they couldn't do on track testing, so. We actually would have had the next gen last year had we did not had COVID, but that's okay. We got it this year. We're going to start off with it. And one of the things, Ben, that I really wanted to talk about first is about racing at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. It's a half mile, tra- I'm sorry, a quarter mile track, quarter mile track that NASCAR built uh, specifically for this track. Over a million dollars is the reported cost. What they have to do to, to uh, build this track? It's going to be a flat track all the way around the uh, the edges of the infield uh, in the uh, in the stadium there, the Coliseum. I'm very excited about this because, you know, like you and I, we're we're both kind of old timers, and we still remember back in the day when NASCAR actually would race at stadium tracks. There were not a lot of them. There were about I think eight or nine of them if I may, uh, when I did some research on this recently, and um, you know, the, the, the today we only have a couple uh, that we know of, that I know of, uh, that's Bowman Gray Stadium out in, um, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and then we also have Wall Stadium in New Jersey, and that's the only other uh, stadiums that I know of that has, or that have regular racing uh, still in, within them, but the LA Memorial Coliseum, oh, an incredible facility, this race this weekend will kick off the 99th year of the LA Memorial Coliseum being, um, you know, in business. They've had a lot of motorsports events there, a lot of um, motocross racing. They've had some off-road truck racing there, uh, but this is obviously going to be a first for them to host NASCAR. Ben, it, just your thoughts in general first about the race this weekend. You know what it means to NASCAR. Um, you know, going back to some of the history of NASCAR. By you know, we're we're, we're essentially going back to the way it used to be back in the fifties and even into the sixties with some stadium racing. What's, what's your take on, on this weekend's race? In general?
1: Well, I tell you what, Jerry. It, it is exciting to know that we're going back to to a quarter mile racetrack. You know, we went there. Uh, to Bowman Grace Stadium back in the uh, early 50s. -hmm. And, you know, I I think the thing that really intrigues me about this is, of course, the Gen 7 car is going to debut there. Those cars, from what I understand, uh, uh, an entirely different race car, Mm -hmm. obviously, that that we've never seen race before. And then trying to put 36 cars on a quarter-mile racetrack, that's going to be interesting to see and i've said it from day one when we first found out we were going to go to this racetrack i think it was what uh july or august i think last year when they first announced it there's going to be a lot of bent sheet metal after this is over <laughs> and uh, no question about it so yeah there's going to be a wide audience not only there at the coliseum but also on television watching millions of fans are going to watch this race it's going to be really hard to predict who's going to win this thing because in a blink of an eye uh, the contenders out, out front will be reduced to possibly not being contenders because there's such tight racing that's going to going to going to happen on this track and you know comparing this track to bowman gray stadium i was talking to kyle larson i believe we were at bristol and i said you know a lot of times i've heard the four the the older drivers say if to get the pole at Bowman Gray basically meant that you're going to win the race. And Kyle said, "Well, I got the pole there at Darl at uh, at Bowman Gray one time, and I didn't win the race. <laughs> so you know, it's it's such I can't I can't emphasize what a tight corner, quarter, tight quarters racetrack that that Bowman Gray is, and it's pretty close to what the track is going to be at L.A. Coliseum. So it, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be exciting. But uh, the guys in the body shop are going to have a lot of work to do come <laughs> next week because uh, it, it, there's going to be a lot of bent sheet metal. And it might be a few bent feelings after this is over. There's no, no points involved. It's an exhibition race. And, uh, and then, of course, we've got to go straight from there, uh, pretty much uh, headed towards Daytona after this is over. And, uh, and that's another little bit of a problem because, you see, we've got a, a situation to where some of the parts to repair some of these cars might not be as available uh, to some of the teams as what they would like. And are they going to protect their cars as much as they can? Because I've heard some teams say that there's some of the parts are not available to them. So they don't have a stockpile of these gen seven cars back at their shops. So we'll
2: see how this is going to go. It's, it's going to be interesting. It is. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. And, you know, the two main points that, you know, immediately come to my mind. Number one, NASCAR, whoever came up with this idea was brilliant. Genius. I mean, I can't say enough compliments about NASCAR coming up with this idea because not only does it take us back to, you know, the the stadium racing of old, you know, I mean, like you said about, you know, Bowman Gray still in existence, but, we you know, the Cup has Cup Series hasn't raced there in what four decades I think it's been, um, and then of course we have Wall Stadium in New Jersey uh, that still is very active. But you know I think uh, it's going to be a whole different perspective for uh, new fans. It'll also probably bring a smile to the fa- to the faces of old fans who may remember some stadium racing from back in the fifties and the sixties. And the other thing too is, again going to back to what I said about you know this being a genius move. You know NASCAR is holding this race exactly one week to the day of the Super Bowl, and you and which is going to be in Inglewood, California, which is only what maybe 20-minute drive, if you will, from from the LA Memorial Coliseum. So NASCAR did is very smart in doing this because. lot of people are going to probably be coming into town for the super bowl they're going to probably want to get out of the winter weather i know here in chicago as we're taping this on wednesday i've got about eight inches of snow right now i'm looking out the window here i would love to be on a plane and being in la and you know get there maybe a week or so early and what better way to go to la than to not only enjoy the beaches and the sun the warm weather but hey let's go do some watch some racing as well too so I, i i agree with you that you know the the parts supply uh, shortage is a concern. Now, teams, are are, they have legitimate concerns. I think they're downplaying it a little bit, which I think is actually the best way to to approach it. But um, you know, the way I kind of look at the LA Memorial Coliseum track, a couple things come to mind. Number one, I don't see this being a one-time only deal. I do not, Mm -hmm. I mean, NASCAR has not said anything about the future of this race going forward. But My guess is, and this is strictly my opinion, strictly a speculation, is that this is going to be the first of many races at the LA Memorial Coliseum, Uh, because remember, Auto Club Speedway out in Fontana, California, which is maybe 45 minutes to an hour uh, east of the Coliseum, they are going to be converting the two-mile track into a half-mile high-banked oval, much like Bristol. They're going to start construction on that immediately after the race on February 27th. And they hope to have that half mile track ready by next year. And the, the word is that I've heard that NASCAR will keep the Memorial Coliseum race um, in the track, if you will, uh in storage. And then they will bring that back out for next year. They're going to have two races in, in California. One will be early in the season, which is probably going to be the Col- Coliseum race and they'll probably Uh, push the uh, auto club speedway race to later in the year, perhaps even into the playoffs, you know, just to, you know, debut I mean, what better place to debut a a, a new half mile track than in the playoffs. So a lot of things that I think are going to be very pivotal. And one other point I was going to make before I turn it back to you, Ben, about this track at the LA Coliseum. I mean, everything I've seen, I've watched videos, I've read stories. It's uh, uh, really an engineering marvel. It's, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic job they've done there you know the what i'm wondering though is a half I mean, i'm sorry a quarter, i keep on saying half mile I, I apologize it's actually a quarter mile track that they're building and to me the best comparison i can probably give is that this is very similar only on a one quarter scale if you will to um um New Hampshire uh, Motor Speedway up in the, in uh, New Hampshire. I think that that's a, that's a one mile flat oval, um, no banking, very tight racing, especially in the turns. And that's kind of the way I think that they've patterned this track. There's going to be no banking at a very flat surface. Um, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about, you know, you mentioned that there's going to be a lot of uh, banged up fenders and banged up, uh, you know, personalities, banged up feelings, you know, there may be some, some uh, even though it's a, you know, a non points race, you know, this is still competition. What do you see, and this may be a, an unfair question to ask, because we haven't even had the race yet as we we're taping this, but what would you, what, what do you foresee for the LA Memorial Coliseum? Will this be a Regular thing added to the schedule because obviously NASCAR really wants to build up the market in the LA area. The county you know, the Auto Club Speedway has been there for what twenty some years, and it's never really. I mean, there's been a few years where yeah, it's, it's had some decent turnouts, but it's never really had the, the. Uh, in my opinion, it's never really has had the attraction if you will that it should have so if you have a race at a place like the coliseum i think it's an immediate uh, thing where people are going to be curious they're going to want to see the thing what are you what are your thoughts about this race is this going to be a one-off or do you think this is going to be the start of a long-term situation where this will become a points race perhaps as early as next
1: year oh well, i i totally agree with that i think it will be a points race uh, as we go along and you know, maybe this is uh, a test run, so to speak, as mm-hmm. far as that goes. And, uh, yeah, anytime you can get into uh, that market, I think it's an awesome situation for NASCAR. It's an awesome situation for the sponsors. Um, yeah, and it's it's an, uh, my experience as far as... Uh, seeing races at Bowman Gray Stadium and seeing the excitement, you know, that's something that even though it's only about 17, 18,000 people that mm-hmm. have have gone to races at Bowman Gray, it's amazing that year after year after year, they fill up that racetrack in Winston-Salem mm-hmm. and it's, it's a modified show. It's the late models. It's the limited sportsman cars, mm-hmm. but the, there is a rabid following of those, those, uh, drivers at that particular racetrack. And it's, it's a great venue to go to. And I I really do believe that as they, after we get this race done, then you're going to see a a great fan following of people wanting to come back to see the cup series guys at LA. And it's not going to be a one-off thing at all. I think you're going to see it. The, the, uh, the Bushlight clash there and then I think you're going to see points races there for sure but you know something that you mentioned a little bit ago you're right I think the timing is perfect for this because they the fans that are coming to the Super Bowl Uh, They're going to be there early. They're not going to just zip right in for the Super Bowl. They'll be there a week or so early and they're going to want to do things. And in the same way that the 1979 Daytona 500 uh, brought a a vast amount of people to NASCAR because of that massive snowstorm that they had. And people were trapped in their homes, couldn't go anywhere. They had three stations to watch. They had a movie. They had an NBA basketball game, and they had the Daytona 500. This is back before cable. This is back before 300, 800 channels, whatever. Mm -hmm. And people were watching the Daytona 500, never seen a stock car race before. And as it turned out, there was a fight between Donnie, Bobby, Allison, and Cale Yarborough. Richard Petty wins his uh, uh, sixth Daytona 500 at the time. Uh, Cinderella finish, all these things well it's it's sort of the same thing with this it's mm-hmm. a brand new car brand new track uh brand new scenario uh, this is a brand new venture so yeah i mean it's it's very much like what happened in 1979 and uh sure i i think it's going to be an awesome race i think there's going to be a lot of fans tuning in that are new to nascar just to see what is this right what is this brand new venture so yeah, I'm gonna be one of those too. I'm not going to the race this weekend in, in LA, but I'm very definitely gonna be watching on Sunday and uh, from what two o'clock on, I guess, or three o'clock, and just I wanna see what this is all about. I'm very excited to see it and I'm gonna be glued to the to the TV and I'll be there till midnight, whatever time <laughs> the thing is. I'm gonna be I'm already excited. I'm ready to go. I'm already popping the
2: popcorn. I'm ready to go. <laughs> well you you know the one thing that and i i i I love the idea i mean it's it it really will bring back the racing of old but i admit to one concern about this race because it's such a tight track it's only a quarter mile to you know the the most difficult thing that i perceive is getting into the pits and out of the pits for that matter but more so into the pits with such a short track like that, your um, your entrance to pit road, uh, you know, is going to probably be a very short entrance, you know, short lead in, track lead in, and then exiting pit road is you know very similar to what we see at, at uh, Bristol. Actually, it's you know both ways, both entering and exiting at the Memorial Coliseum will be like uh, we see at Bristol. But Bristol, of course, you have the banking, which is a whole different, makes things a whole bit different. What's your take about the um, you know, obviously all pit stops are important, but where what do you think about you know how the the ingress and egress onto and out of pit road is going to be in this race because it's so tight and because there's such a limited, finite uh area of real estate where cars can either slow down going into the pits or you know, you know, basically hammer it getting out of the pits. Yeah,
1: I think uh, the the very best friend that these drivers are going to have on that particular part of it is their spotters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they really you can't see hardly anything in these cars, even the car that we had in 2021. Uh, if you sit down in these seats and, and the padding and all that, uh, you just really can't see a lot. Right. And so I think I think really strong communication between the spotter and the driver. It's gonna be key in, in this race, all races really, but I mean this one particularly, because you're right, you don't have a lot of real estate there to travel, uh, getting in and out of the pits. And I mean, it's just such tight quarters. And remember, you've got 36 cars on a quarter mile track. There's just not a lot of room. I mean, when you even when you're taking the green flag and you're back at the pack back of the pack. I mean, you're half a lap down almost. I mean, you're just, there's no room. And so you have to stay on top of your game on this particular track. I'm telling you, if you think about, if you've never been to Bowman Gray Stadium, I keep going back to that, but that's an identical racetrack Mm -hmm. to what what we're racing on. It's flat. It's a quarter mile. It's just, there's no room. There's no other way to put it. And there's not a lot of uh, space to maneuver. There's not a lot of space to gain uh, positions. Um, So I'm just saying that anybody that's out there in those 36 cars, you gotta have a lot of help and that help's gotta come from your spotters. And when he says move, you gotta move. And those holes are gonna close up really fast. And uh, so when you're getting in and out of those pits, uh, any help you can get is what you, you're going to have to have. You got
2: to move fast. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to put you on the spot here, and, and I and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean this in a, in a good way. But yeah, the biggest concern I have about this race, going into this race, is the green flag, because it's an untested track. You know, guys will be they have a little practice on there. I think on uh, what Friday and Saturday or Saturday, so they'll get a feel for what the track's like. But given the tight quarters, you know, a quarter mile track, when that green flag goes, if anybody, anybody, you know, misses a shift, you know, whatever, we could see calamity in that first lap. I mean, we could see 10, 15, maybe 20 cars involved in a big wreck because there's nowhere to go. What's right. what's your thought of that? I mean, are you, is that something that you're, you can, uh, you're concerned about too as well? Well,
1: I am. And it, it's a real possibility
2: because again,
1: space is uh limited Mm -hmm. on this track you you know we've seen that kind of thing happen on the intermediate tracks and on on even on super speedways where a guy might miss a shift and and uh, when you're talking about a track as narrow and as small as this track you've got to be on top of your game and and even if you spin your tires with that much horsepower on a track like this. Yeah, it's very much a possibility that each each one of these drivers have got to be very much on their game mm-hmm. to protect what they have around them and not get into some kind of problem as far as their sheet metal, as far as uh, what's under the hood, as far as, I mean, they got to protect their cars and to make it this entire distance. And I, I just know from experience that uh, the tight quarters racing that they're going to be involved in. Some are going to be good at it. Some are maybe going to feel a little bit anxious <laughs> right. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. That's going to be a key factor. Take care of your equipment and you got to make it to the end, you know, and it's such a cliche, but you can't win unless you take until you make it to the end. And that's what they're going to have to remember uh to get all the way to the to the checkered flag but to do that you've got to protect what you have and you've got to race the guys around you and you got to protect what you have and that sounds so cliche-ish and i'm sorry (laughs) but it's so it's, it's so true true right because if you don't protect what you
2: have you're not going to make it to the finish exactly again an untested track you know brand new um you know we don't know you know who is going to excel at this track, but any thoughts, uh, Ben from you on who do you think may have the best shot? I mean, to me, there's a couple of guys that stand out and, and, you know, uh, you might be a little surprised at the two picks I'm going to make. Um, I'm thinking that, you know, a guy like, uh, Martin Truex Jr. will be yeah. a, a good possibility. And the other guy, which, Honestly, I think I'm going to pick him to win this one. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when I say this, I'm picking Joey Logano to win. I mean, Joey, you know, he was a master at flat track racing up in the Northeast, especially at New Hampshire and all the other tracks that he was on before he came to NASCAR. Sure. It's been a long time since he's been on a track this, this uh, short distance, and that kind of thing. But, you know, he and Truex both kind of were raised on these kind of racetracks. So I think that, you know, if they both tap into their memory banks of what it was like back in the day, they're going to do pretty well. And like you said, I mean, a lot of these guys are going to be at the mercy of the other guys, and you know, there might be some drivers there that get too excited, you know, early on and they cause wrecks, or there may be some guys who, like we said, you know, may miss a shift, but you know, I mean, uh, you know, you and certainly you can't out, rule out a guy like you know, Kyle Larson, the defending champion, or Chase Elliott. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of guys out there, but you know, when it comes to if I have to put myself on the, on the dotted line, if you will. I'm going to go with Lugano to win, and Truex as my as my pick, my runner-up pick, or my my alternate pick, if you will. How about you? Who who, who are you looking at for with this race? Well, uh, there's a couple of guys that
1: I've been thinking about. One one we agree on, Martin Truex is one because he grew up racing at Wall Stadium, and Wall Stadium, from what I understand, is kind of narrow and and small, and you know that's where he grew up, that's where he cut his teeth. Mm-hmm. Another guy, uh, Ryan Priest. Uh, I think because he's got a lot of really good short track experience. If I'm not telling this incorrectly, I think these cars this weekend are going to have a little bit bigger brake package on them too. Mm -hmm. That that's, that's going to be very helpful to these guys as well. And that, that's big because, you know, on these short tracks, for instance, Martinsville is bigger, obviously, than what we're going to race on this weekend. But that's the key to winning at Martinsville, if you can stay off your brakes. And there's some drivers that just could not do it. Bobby Allison, for one, he said, I've I've won the Martinsville 490 about, 20, <laughs> 80, you know, about 50 times. And I could never get past that last 10 laps, right. and that right. would burn up my brakes. In this particular case, though, the the guys that can manage their brakes or stay off their brakes, and again, uh, handle the front end and the back end of their cars, not mash in that front end too much. And they might even allow them to put a little more bars or a little more padding or something in the front end of these cars. I don't know that for sure. But again, these short track cars require a little more something because you're going to beat and bang and beat and bang on these small smaller tracks. But those two guys, and for whatever reason, and I can't really my finger on it but chase elliott keeps coming to mind Mm -hmm. as as a favorite for me and i'm not even sure why but he just in my mind i keep thinking who's going to win this thing and chase comes to mind as a real contender you know maybe it's this his delivery his smooth aggressive way of driving i'm not sure but every time i think about it he he comes to mind so that's my picks i like him uh, yeah, I think, but, but Martin comes to mind, Priest comes to mind, Chase comes to mind. So, we'll see. But again, a wrong move by a backmarker guy, yep, can take take them completely out of the mix. So exactly.
2: We'll exactly. You know, yeah. one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and we're going to segue a little bit um, to a. Uh, kind of it's what we're talking about but we're going to go back in time and you talked about this in your lead-in segment about soldier field in chicago and the racing that was there um i still remember like it was yesterday i was at the race in 64 it was the tournament uh, i think it was the the tournament of thrills i think they call it and i remember that race in particular when it was not a cup race it was you know it was a you know midwest uh, I'm i'm not even sure what the series was at the time but the one thing i remember about that track we were sitting in the south uh which is what the where the south end zone is now for the because the bears moved there the chicago bears moved there in 71 but soldier field the original soldier field built in um 32 i think it was i think it was for the columbian exposition in 33 but the point is this that was a um I believe it was actually a half-mile track, if I'm not mistaken, uh, because it was a massive, massive infield. And the the track went all the way around. Now, when the Bears, the Chicago Bears NFL football team moved there in 71, because the north end zone, if you will, was just so far removed and the sight lines were great from a di- for a distance, but they, you know, fans were not up close to the field. The Bears decided to put in um, what they call temporary stands, but they eventually became permanent stands, and they shortened a good chunk of that um, uh, infield, if you will, and that was also the end of racing at, you know, at Soldier Field. In fact, uh, a bit of trivia for you, and I know you've got a, a lot to talk about Soldier Field, but and I think you already know this, but the last race, and I put race in quotes, that was ever held at Soldier Field was 1970. And it wasn't even a stock car race. It was a drag race of all things. So, you know, uh, I mean, I still remember that race that I attended In in, I was, I think, what, six or seven years old at the time because uh, my father was a city employee and he got passes for himself, me, (coughs) excuse me, and a couple of his friends and their kids. And the Tournament of, of Thrills, Um, it helped benefit charities in the Chicago area, and one of the things that uh, they did was they had a lot of uh, involvement with Chicago Fire Department, so there were a lot of firemen that were at that race, but it was really funny because I remember, again, I mean, here I am 64 years old, and I remember this from, you know, 57 years ago that I still remember this like it was yesterday. The firemen uh, many of them were dressed up, you know, as clowns. You know, like an Emmett Kelly type. You know, full makeup uh-huh. on and everything like that. <laughs> and they. They, they had, you know, they they uh, they would chase each other around the infield. I remember they had two hook and ladder trucks. You know, that would, you know the, the ladders would go up in the air, and they would go, would go up one and right down the other. And it was hysterical. I remember, this, I wish somebody had a video of this. And I'm, I'm, I'm betting somewhere along the way, in fact, I, I actually know of one guy who I have never, I haven't reached out to him, but I think I'm going to see if he, maybe he has a video, because he's got thousands and thousands and thousands of videos of short tracks and things like that. But the point I'm making, though, Ben, is that was, you know, Soldier Field was kind of like the, uh, one of the last of the era of stadium racing. Now we had about, I think it was eight races, or eight tracks I came up with um, in my research that we had stadium races, uh, you know, low, uh, in the 50s primarily, uh, a few in the 60s, and then they just, you know, disappeared. And in fact, I think a couple of the tracks actually only had a stadium race one time, and then, you know, that disappeared. I missed that, but on the flip side, it helps uh, resurrect or reinvent, if you will, my excitement about the sport because you know we're going back to the sports origins, if you will, yeah. by bringing in a stadium race. My, you know, I said this last week, and I'll keep on. I'll, I'll beat this horse until it's dead. I, I love this idea, but I want to see NASCAR eventually. If we're going to have a stadium race, you know, and, and essentially if it becomes a regular thing on the schedule at, at the LA Memorial Coliseum, I want to see. <laughs> a beach race i want to see his race on the yeah. beach again you know? sure. so but yeah i mean let's talk a little bit about you know your research about uh, soldier field i mean again you know I, I know that place like the back of my hands um it, it was a really thrilling place there's still several videos on on youtube and i highly encourage fans uh, to tune into some of those because they're really it shows racing the way it was back in the day i mean just uh, almost unfiltered and you know just pure racing excitement. You didn't have to worry you know, so much about, um, you know, uh, the points that much or the championships. I mean, you yeah, certainly those were important at the time still, but, you know, it was racing for racing's sake. Tell me yeah. your thoughts about, you know, Soldier Field and stadium racing as a whole. Well,
1: it's it's interesting to me that, I mean, this is where the Chicago Bears uh, play football and, and to think, you know, if you could put this in your mind that a, a racetrack was there at one time. I mean, It's just so hard to believe that they actually raced cars around there. But I know that uh, Fred Lorenzen, back in the early 90s, told me this, that he actually raced cars there. And so did Tom Pistone. And, and of course, Fireball Roberts won the Cup Series race there in 1956. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was uh, phenomenal that that they would co i mean it's actually a southern sport for many years but they did travel all over the united states uh and chicago was one of the places that they did go to for a couple of years and they had a convertible race there as i mentioned but in the piece but uh yeah and and just the fact that they the, the place would hold uh, about seventy thousand people right right and you know it's just a phenomenal amount of people that could were exposed to stock car racing, not only uh, NASCAR but also USAC type uh, racing from the Mm -hmm. Midwest. Mm -hmm. But the Andy Granatelli and and that name is associated with STP and of course the Petties and and Mario Andretti and and the fact that in just a a little bit of side story there, you know, Andrew Granatelli and STP, they go to the Petties and say, a side story here said so that we want want to sponsor your car. And Richard says, Great. And said, We are going to require that you paint the car day glow red, 100% day glow red. And Richard gets up and said, See you later. We're not doing that. And, and Dale Inman says, Whoa, 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 hold the phone. I'll be right back. I'll get him to, get him to come back in the room. And he says, Richard, don't you understand? We need the money. I said, Well, we're not painting the car day glow red. it's got to have petty blue on it so that was a deal breaker and they finally after a couple more hours of talking they finally came up with this petty blue and deglo red combination which was signature colors but but andy Granatelli wanted that car to be the solid red and he said we're not doing that well uh, the next year which was 73 there was uh buddy baker driving the number 11 STP car that was the solid day color colors, but uh, that was just a side story. But the Andrew Granatelli was the guy who actually promoted those races at soldier field. And he would actually hire guys, like I said, uh, to come in there and like crash on purpose (laughs) (laughs) to flip cars. And, you know, it's sort of like, monday night wrestling almost <laughs> because they would like do what you can to bring the fans back and i don't know if the fans do that or not but they would actually try to get people to come you know sit on the edge of their seats and come back well they've uh, for specific races not all the time but there would be times they fill the place up mm-hmm. and you know it, it's like i mean he, he had a golden golden eggs, so to speak there, because he was he was getting people to come to these races. Well, this, you know, the Rex White and some others that were in the NASCAR realm of things that so this place was massive uh, to be able to race here and see all these people around this stadium, because in those days, you didn't really have that many people coming. I mean, you had Daytona and you had Darlington, some of those places would fill up. But uh yeah soldier field would would hold a massive amount of people i'm sure you remember when you were there in 64 yep how many people were there but uh yeah and then there was a guy named sal Tavella. yep if i'm saying it right and right. he won the last stock car race there in 1968 a big name around that area who won quite a few races uh maybe on a usac level and uh he did start 14 NASCAR races, though, in his career. He didn't win any, but he did start 14 races. But uh, just you know, Andrew Granatelli was the guy, though, that he was a showman, and he would he would just you know, fill the airwaves of TV and mm-hmm. and uh, radio with just all the promotion he could possibly think of. And I'm sure that maybe some of those uh, fire trucks you talked about was probably had these. You know some of his ideas and yep. anything it could do to get fans to come in there and uh but yeah he was quite a showman and uh, he knew how to fill up a place and but some of that was getting people like tom pistone and some of those guys to purposely crash and roll their cars <laughs> right. to get people to come in there and say oh wow well, i gotta come back next week and i gotta see what's going on you know that kind of thing
2: that's why so, it was a tournament
1: of thrills yeah you know? <laughs> yeah yeah and uh you know and it was interesting that, but yeah, to, to think to think that the Chicago Bears now play and have for for decades and decades at a place where they once raced cars. That that's interesting to me. I, I just think, wow, how how interesting that is to to think they actually raced around the place.
2: Well, you know, if you like I said about earlier about you know if you look on YouTube, you can find some videos that still show um, you know the the lengths of, of the the track. I mean, you know, it, it's. For me, being a native Chicagoan, it's um, it was kind of almost like a deja vu kind of thing because it it put me immediately back in that seat in the south end zone in '64. I mean, I like I said, I remember that thing like it was yesterday. It's I mean, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I can remember what it was like in '64. Yeah, well, you know, but but the thing is that um, you know NASCAR they may have something here and and i'm gonna i'm 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 really extrapolating this i'm really reaching on this one but hear me out so the chicago bears have played at soldier Field since 1971 because of uh the bears demands that was what essentially killed racing at soldier field because the last race like i said was a drag race in in 1970 the last race Uh, you know, stock race was 68, and then the Bears moved into Soldier Field in 71, so they had to eliminate the the racing. But, and here's where I'm going to probably go off on a wild tangent on this one. You know me, I'm not afraid to go off on tangents. (laughs) Uh, The Bears, you know, are currently, they actually have an option to buy the uh, Arlington Race Course, which was, you know, Arlington International, which was Arlington, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the horse track in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And, they are thinking very seriously about uh, building a brand new stadium on the grounds of what is, you know, or what has been for many years a horse track. And, you know, the, the, the reason they're thinking is a lot of their fans come from the north northwest suburbs. So it's a lot, be a lot more convenient for them rather than going to downtown Chicago. But if the Bears do build their own stadium, you know, obviously they can, they'll call their own shots, you know, at, at the place they would own, that kind of thing. But then that leaves Soldier Field, as we know it today, wide open. There will not be any bear games, you know, bears games that we uh, would attend there anymore. Now, granted, when the, the Soldier Field was reconfigured and rebuilt back in what was it ninety? Um, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the year. Maybe ninety three, something like that. Maybe it might have been sooner than that. But um, you know, they eliminated that whole portion of the north uh, end zone, which was behind the temporary slash permanent seats i'm wondering though if this uh race in los angeles the memorial coliseum this sunday the bush classic clash rather um could that potentially lead to maybe another one or two more races on a stadium track and i think the city of chicago now they make it some environmental pushback, you know, from the environmentalists because it's right under the lake, you know, lots of you know fumes and all that kind of thing. But there have been a lot of talks, a lot of discussions over the years about racing in Chicago. There was talk at one point about having a, a um, an IndyCar, a street course race. That didn't go very, you know, didn't take, uh, it didn't, you know, really materialize. They they had a lot of talk, but it never, you know, got off the ground per se. I'm wondering though, could we potentially see a move by nascar if the situation is right and i'm not just saying chicago i mean it could be chicago it could be somewhere else do you think we could potentially see maybe two maybe even three stadium races on the schedule let's say in the next uh five to seven years do you think
1: yeah could be because they could just simply look at the la coliseum and say hey it just took us a million bucks mm-hmm. we could we we laid out this track you got the seating already here you got the infrastructure as far as the parking uh you know we've got everything in place all we gotta do is lay some asphalt and here we go i mean we've proven it could work right so you never know it could be that
2: we've done it before that's right (laughs) that's right well you know and you know another thing too is i was thinking about this um you know i i'm semi- serious when i'm talking about having you know the race on the beach i'd love to see a, re- a beach race again i mean i watched some videos online and they just it it just brings out a feeling in me about how i'd love to see that but one thing that and i think we talked about this was it last week i think it was or maybe the week before and i wanted to bring it up again because it kind of ties into this whole stadium thing um one thing NASCAR. To the best of my knowledge, and Ben, you're you're certainly more um qualified to speak on, on this, and I wanted to ask you about this. If the race in LA proves to be successful, and I think there's every potential reason that it's going to be a huge success, that's my opinion. Do you think that eventually, and you know, it could be three years from now, it could be five years from now, it could be 10 years from now, could we potentially see a NASCAR race? on a street course, a temporary street course. And I was thinking about this last night because I was working on a piece for our, you know, Out of the Groove, uh, a, a weekly uh, uh, online site. And I was thinking about this, you know, wh- you know, last year at Indianapolis, we had the IndyCar slash NASCAR weekend. What about if we, you know, if, if NASCAR wants to try a temporary street course, run a race, and I, it, I don't think there would really be that much difference in terms of configuration or anything like that. To run a street course race in conjunction with an IndyCar race weekend, and I'm you know we've got Saint Petersburg, which kicks off the IndyCar season this year, February 27. You've got the Long Beach Grand Prix, which is historically one of the one of the most popular races in IndyCar, uh, other than the Indianapolis 500. And you've also got Toronto. Toronto's going to be coming back uh, this year, hopefully, if everything you know works out with the, you know the they'll um, rescind, rescind the COVID restrictions and all that kind of thing. What are your thoughts about a street course race, a temporary street course race for NASCAR? Do you see that potentially coming? And you know, from a um, logistical standpoint, could that be potentially uh, a winner for everybody to run it in the same weekend as you would a, an IndyCar race? Yeah, absolutely. I don't see
1: why that would not work because uh, you know you could pretty much run it wherever you want you could do st petersburg you could do atlanta charlotte i mean no, nothing to me is really off the table And i don't think doing what they did at la coliseum even though initially you're you raise your eyebrows a little bit think that's is that really going to work <laughs> of course they've proven it could work because you know money buys speed i guess is, i've always heard that yep. and if you have the money you can pretty much do whatever you want to do and they've proven that it could make that work and and they met the deadline and here we are so yeah i don't see why that wouldn't work at all i think they could do a double header and uh do do it and make it work and make it function and uh yeah for sure there, there's no
2: no question at all it could be done it, it, long before 10 years maybe five i'd love to see it i mean i i, I would definitely i mean i normally don't buy tickets so, i mean i use my press credential but i would buy a ticket for that race i would just want to sit in the stands and just soak up the atmosphere i think it'd be his, you know a, a historical event you know to see it that way
1: yes for sure I, I think it'd work very well and i i think they could pretty much pick the city and make get the ball rolling and uh yeah absolutely it would work very well for sure
2: okay we're coming on a turn four heading towards the checkered flag but we want to talk a little bit about you know this is obviously episode number 49 of a lifetime in nascar podcast and you know as we do every single week we talk about the episode number and in conjunction with the same race or the number that we see on race cars so the number 49 in nascar certainly did not does not have the history like we had last week with jimmy johnson in the 48 but the 49 though did they have some, um, some interesting elements about it, Ben? And I know you did some research on it. Tell us about the 49 and its history. Okay. In
1: I sure can. The number 49 actually has seven victories to credit the, the number. Bob Welburn has five victories. Bobby Allison has one, and a little side story to that. And then Jim Pasco also has one. And the, the win for Bobby Allison came in August of 1971 at Bowman Gray Stadium. The story there was that they did not have enough grand national cars to fill the fields. They let grand American cars run that day. And as it turned out, Bobby was in a grand American car. He wins the race and the NASCAR tells him, wait a minute, you're in a grand American car. You can't win. (laughs) So as it turns out, uh, that was the race technically with no winner. And for the past, how many years is that? Uh, 40, I can't add. For, for four decades, Bobby has been trying to fight that number. Uh, he actually has 85 wins, not 84. Mm-hmm. And so it depends on who you ask, but uh, he did actually win that race. And uh, so that's the missing victory in Bobby's count. He really does have 85 victories. He was driving for a Mustang for mel joseph that day number 49 Mm -hmm. and uh but yeah when he won when he took the checkered flag he was in a grand american car and nascar said well you're in the wrong kind of car you can't win but they're the ones that
2: put the the ones that put the grand american cars in with the grand national cars i
1: mean i know i know that's that's it's it's a real mystery so that's the the one race that there was really no winner uh to speak of <laughs> so so that's that's the one you know i and anytime i write bobby's win column i say 85 because he did win the race he they let him start the race he won the race and then after the race was over they said he didn't win so i can't quite understand that
2: okay i'm gonna ask uh, you i'm gonna ask you a dumb okay. question dumb all question. right sure
1: yeah lay it on me
2: what was the difference back then between the grand national and the grand american cars what were the what was the difference? well
1: it was it was really uh i think it was maybe wheelbase and maybe it maybe engine size it okay. was for instance so let me give you an example uh say the uh the grand national car in 1969 might have been a Oh, a Dodge Charger mm-hmm. and a grand American car would have been a Camaro or a Mustang. Okay. I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah. For to give you an example, but okay. they just didn't have enough cars to fill the field. So they let, I don't know, 10 or 12 cars into the field that right. day. And then when he won in that car, then they said, well, you're driving the wrong kind of car. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, what, whatever. Oh, whatever. <laughs> exactly. He, uh, so the first time that uh the number 49 started a a grand national now cup series event was at langhorne speedway in langhorne pennsylvania september 11th 1949 and it was driven by a guy named walter mix Mm -hmm. Uh, m-i-n-x was his last name and the first time that it won a race was bob welburn october 6 1957 at martinsville speedway interesting that's very so interesting. there you have it sir
2: well i mean <laughs> you know the the thing is uh, it, you look at the 49 yet yeah, has not had a lot of wins as compared to you know like the the 48 or the 42 the 43 what have you but you know i find it interesting that you know there is almost, and we've talked about this a couple times, I think, in the past about how when especially new teams are formed, um, you know, they they go to NASCAR requesting a certain number. It, it's still a very, um, it's much of a science, I guess, is probably the best way of phrasing it, that, you know, NASCAR will look at what numbers are available, and then they will, um, you know, say, well, okay, well, we can give you this number, this number, this number, whatever, you take it, but, it, you know, it's still quote unquote owned by NASCAR and the 49, like I said, you know, has not had a lot of wins. I mean, eight wins over the years, but you know, I, 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 I really like the, the dichotomy if you will from what we talked about last week with Jimmy Johnson, his 83 wins, plus, you know, other guys that were in the 48 over the years too, and one versus the 49, which has not had a lot of wins, but still it's, it's a significant part of NASCAR history though, too.
1: Yeah, it is, and uh, you know we. Another driver that comes to mind that did not win in the car number, but uh, drove it for several years was Ken Schrader. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, I remember, right. I remember Ken drove it. Uh, you know, there was uh, a, a guy by the name of Don Hume that also drove the number. So yeah, several drivers have driven it. It just didn't end up in victory lane for whatever reason. And uh, other than those times that I mentioned. Uh, but yeah, some numbers are very successful, some numbers aren't, and for whatever reason, you know, uh, it's just kind of luck of the draw, I guess.
2: Well, I'll tell you, the fan, when I was with Yahoo back between 2004 and 2009, I'll never forget this email I got, him, and it was from a fan, I'm sure I probably got the email saved somewhere, but he was talking about, you know, car numbers, and this is one of my favorite stories that I love to tell. He said that, when he would play the lottery, you know, he, uh, I don't know it was Powerball or whatever the was, he would use car numbers, you know, he would pick Mm -hmm. his, and he told me that one time he did that, he won, I can't remember the amount, it was, it was something like a hundred thousand, maybe two hundred thousand, based, based only on car numbers that he liked, and I, and I started thinking, I said, well, maybe I should try that, and of course, i didn't even win a scratch off but that's a whole other story yeah.
1: well you know i mean some people can you know no matter what they do they get it right
0: exactly exactly
1: you know, uh, you know i haven't i'm like you i haven't been you know when i pull a number out of a hat i get the hat size <laughs> you know i'm not very lucky when it comes to things like that but um, right right. congratulations to whoever that was
2: yeah i gotta find that because that one just sticks in my mind i mean you know he just uses numbers and he winds up winning six figures uh, you know uh, uh, so it worked for him. you know i mean i I, you know that was what you know 15 17 years ago i'm curious if if he still you know does that or if he's you know hopefully still with us and everything uh,
1: somewhere in the he's on his yacht somewhere in the <laughs>
0: exactly
2: exactly in
1: the caribbean somewhere yeah, his, his, his,
2: his his last name is um is penske let's say <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's watching he's
1: watching nascar races on his flat screen on his yachts exactly exactly (laughs) all
2: right let's talk about you know we're talking about drivers we have a driver of the week that we want to talk about we also have the track week let's talk about the driver of the week ben who's your pick this week well this
1: week uh you know since we're going out west and uh you know talking about california drivers there's a guy that i thought it'd be fun to talk about the guy's name is ray elder Mm -hmm. and uh he is what i would call a winston west driver he was one and if you remember the, i'm not sure if you remember this but there was a, of course the nascar grand national guys and then for many years there was the winston west circuit that went that raced out on the western um, side of the united states mm-hmm. and he was uh sort of like what i would say the i don't know the richard petty's uh, of that that uh division mm-hmm. But uh, Ray wa- won a uh, good many races over uh, a lot of years there. And uh, But yeah, he was a multi-time, multi-champion multi uh, over there and, on the West Coast and raced from, well, many years over there uh, on the West Coast. But yeah, Ray Elder is the driver that I wanted to talk about today and uh, just won a lot of races. He actually raced in the Cup Series. For uh, quite a few times, mostly when we would go to places like Riverside, mm-hmm. and on the on the uh, uh, that's uh, on the road course. I'm trying to mm-hmm. say, but uh, yeah, just just uh, won a lot of the as far as the Winston West races, won 47 races. He was the champion uh, six times, and uh, just remember, he rode the number 96 uh, Dodges. Uh, Olympia Beer was his sponsor for many years, <laughs> and uh, just a super nice guy. We sadly we lost him on November twenty fourth, twenty eleven, Los California.
2: I'll be there. But, uh,
1: yeah, but he did run. He did run the Cup Series, uh, thirty one races in the Cup Series, and uh, had two victories, and they both came at Riverside. Nine top fives, sixteen top tens uh, during his career from. 1967 to 78 and then uh, on the uh, west west, and west side 1966 to 1983 and as i said 147 of those races but yep uh, hats off to ray elder who was our driver of the week
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna how do i say this um i've got to ask because when you said ray elder the name immediately rang bells in my head and I was trying to figure out where did I hear the name before it wasn't Ray Elder it was Jake Elder yeah was he related to Jake Elder because Jake he was he was he was the original crew chief for Dale Earnhardt when uh, Earnhardt raced for um uh what's his name um oh gosh the guy that was um he won the championship for back in 79 um Oh, gosh. I'm drawing a blank. Right. His... You're talking about Rod right right Astraline. Right Astraline. Yeah. Thank you.
1: No, you... I don't. No, yeah. they no, they weren't related. Okay. They weren't. No, they weren't. Uh, but yeah, Ray Elder was just someone who, very much uh, like Herschel McGriff, you know, on, on that side of the United States, they just, on oh, the West, West Coast, very well known on the West Coast and was very, uh, very popular as far mm-hmm. as a driver and and just each time they went to Riverside, he was always in the lineup. A couple times, like I say, he won at Riverside, the West, the uh, Winston Cup races, mm-hmm. and uh, very well respected among all of the uh, motorsports community. And uh, yeah, just I just remember as when I was probably twelve, thirteen, fourteen, I remember listening to races on MRN, and they would always talk about uh, Ray er- Ray Elder. Uh, on those broadcasts. And like I said, a couple of times he won. And uh, I thought, wow, he's he's right up there with the Winston Cup guys. But uh, just someone that everybody in, in the NASCAR community had an, an immense amount of respect for.
2: Right. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, in our final segment of today's show, we're going to keep things on the West Coast. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, Ray Elder, you know, being racing in the West Coast and our track of the week just happened to be on the west coast It's not there anymore of course but um uh, you know as far as far as a racetrack but um tell us about our track of the week ben
1: well there's the track we talked we're sort of sticking with stadiums you know we talked about wall stadium boba gray (laughs) stadium la coliseum uh soldier field there was one that uh Discovered Oakland Stadium, and they did do some NASCAR Cup Series racing back in the 50s. 1951, uh, a gentleman by the name of Marvin Burke won there in a 1950 Mercury. Uh, It's a half mile speedway. And then 1954, Dick Rathman drove to victory in a 1952 Hudson. And then 1954, the victory went to a gentleman by the name of Danny Lettner. He was driving a 52 Hudson and only half mile. And uh, that's the three times that NASCAR went to Oakland Stadium there in Oakland, California. And uh, so like I say, back in the 50s, we uh, Bill French Senior, the founder of NASCAR, uh, did try to venture out and try to um, take NASCAR all around the United States. And back in those days, there would be times when you'd have races on the East coast, the same time you'd have races on the West coast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it, there would be points paying races on both ends. And, uh, obviously you couldn't race at, on the East coast and the West coast at the same time. You just had to, you know, pick and choose where you're going to race. Mm-hmm. And of course they would add up the points at the end of the year, but yeah, he was, was trying to, uh, tried to get as much exposure for NASCAR as possible. And so sometimes the drivers would go as far as they could to the West. And it depends on the purse. It depends on the track, depending on, uh, you know, what mainly the purse, because, you know, you had to pay to get the car out there and all those types of things. But uh, yeah, there's you know, Bill France was trying to make uh, NASCAR a household name. and. Eventually, it became a, a well-known professional sport for many years. Though it was sort of a southeastern regional sport, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so we well, you know, but it took some time, but you see where we are today.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned about um, Oakland College, oh, Oakland Stadium, rather, and I'm looking at the, the RacingReference.info and. Reference dot info and uh, I'm looking at the 54 and 50. Well, the two races in 54 that um, Dick Rathman and uh, Danny Lettner won. They won with an average speed. And get this, folks 50 miles an hour was the winning <laughs> average speed. Now, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, okay, here, now, you know, I'm I'm kind of pessimistic by nature. I hope to God this Sunday's race, uh, you know, the Bush Cla- Light Clash yeah i can't say that try to say that past three times the bush light clash at the la memorial coliseum hopefully the final speed will the average speed will be a lot bigger than 50 miles an hour that's for sure
1: yeah well uh we'll see but uh i i predict uh quite a few cautions i do but maybe i'm wrong but uh, i think we're gonna have a few caution flags the guy well, the the guy the person waving the caution flag is going to have the arms come get tired
2: (laughs) i think but maybe i'm wrong you know i've been wrong before so well we'll see i mean you know you raise you know in, in all kidding aside you raised this point earlier and i wanted to kind of close with this um you know looking at this race yeah we a lot of people are anticipating a lot of bench sheet metal there's a lot of you know anticipation of um you know a lot of wrecks but I'm going to temper that with a little bit of optimism coming from Mr. Pessimism. Um, <laughs> I think that we'll see some conflict, but I think that what you said earlier really speaks volumes. And and I really think that, you know, when the drivers talk to their uh, owners, when they talk to their crew chiefs, this is a non points race. And it's not a million dollar purse. It's nothing. You know, it's all not right. like the, you know, the all star race, nothing like that it's 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 essentially an exhibition race you know no matter if it's in LA if it was in Daytona it's still an exhibition race and again being all, all seriousness here the supply shortage that is gripping this country. I mean, when we're talking. Well, it's actually gripping the world, for that matter. Yeah. You know, I mean, if for you know, you, there's. Uh, I mean, I went into the store the other day. I mean, so many shelves are empty, and it's it actually has trickled down to NASCAR and and motorsports as a whole. I know IndyCar is very concerned about this because their first race is February 27th in Saint Petersburg, and some of their cars are not even put together yet because they're waiting for parts to come in. Right. So I'm I'm wondering that. Will the team owners and the crew chiefs tell their drivers, you know, it, this is not a points race. Yeah. You'll get some money out of it, but let's not tear up our cars. You know, especially this early in the season, we, you know, we haven't even gotten to the Daytona 500 yet. We don't want to have, you know, to to tear up this car because this car, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be similar, if not the same car that they're going to bring to Bristol as well as to um, to Martinsville early in the season too. So you don't want to, you know, mess up your car you know, in a non points race, uh, especially if you can't, if parts are in such short supply and, you know, as bad as the supply chain shortage for auto or for racing parts is now, what's it going to be like a month from now? I mean, could it be even yeah. worse. Then what do we do? You know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's a big concern in my mind. What, what, what's your thoughts about that, Ben? Yeah,
1: I agree with that. I mean, I'm not trying to be pessimistic about it all. I'm just I want, them, I want them to go out and have some fun with this race, and uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a, a, an exciting evening of racing, and I really want them to have fun with this. I just think that they, they do need to be cautious yes. about it because they've got to take two cars to Daytona and for the 120 or 150s, I should say, and the 500, and they just need to be cautious about what they're going to do here, but but let's have a great race and let's see how it goes. I'm just, I I know from experience that a a quarter mile track does scratch the paint a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just, let's just be careful boys. And let's be careful about what we're doing out there. That's all I'm saying, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I think we should have, we're going to have a great time on Sunday. I'm looking forward to it.
2: I am too. I mean, I, but again, I'm, Mr. Pessimism here, the one thing I'm worried about is that one four-letter word, rain. You know, yeah. and and, and I the mean thing, part of that. <laughs> well, you know, and, and here's the here's the thing. I've been out to California dozens of times, and historically, the end of January into early February is one of their peak rain seasons. I'm hoping to God we can get this race through, you know, no rain, you know, uh, it'll start, you know, uh, uh, I'm hoping under sunny conditions and we're going to have a good race, a fun race. It'll be a, a big ratings boom for Fox on, on TV. I think that, you know, going forward, I think this is going to really be a uh, kind of a milestone event for NASCAR in its long in a colorful history. And, you know, I think this could be, like we said earlier, this could be the start of something really, really, really big, where we see a race every year at the LA Coliseum, and, and it'd be a points-paying race as well, too. So, Ben, as always, great show as we uh, as we typically do, and uh, thank you very much for all your insight and input, and uh, we'll be back with a with a milestone of our, our own next week in episode 50 of A Lifetime in NASCAR. Ben, you have a good weekend. Enjoy the race. I know I'll be enjoying the race. We'll be talking a lot about it next week right here on The Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. Ben, you take care, and we'll talk to you next weekend, okay? We'll do Thank you. All right. All right, that's Ben White. I'm Jerry Bunkowski. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. Back with episode 50 next week. Have a good weekend, everybody. Take care.